Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, fitness for real people, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. Today, Gabrielle interviews Dr. Joy Wolf, a family care practitioner in Ahwatukee. Dr. Wolf explains her experience with COVID-19, what it is, and why it is so serious. She also talks about the trends we are seeing with social distancing and why it is important. Hear her firsthand experience with this pandemic and how to stay healthy and safe. And now here's your host, personal trainer and stretch therapist, Gabrielle Mazar. Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar. And on today's episode, I have a pretty special guest today. Um, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, we talk about all things health and fitness. Um, health is not just about exercise. It's not just about going to the gym. It's also about your diet and nutrition, as well as mental health. But today, uh, I have Dr. Joy Wolf here with me. She is my doctor, has been my doctor for many years, um, over 20. And uh, I wanted to talk to her about her experience with what we're going through right now with this pandemic. So welcome, Dr. Wolf. Thanks, Gabby. It's good to see you. You know you can always call me Joy. Well, yeah, I know. It's I can't though. It's a hard <laughs> habit. And of course, I see your mom and your sister and that's the true definition of being a family doctor. That is the true definition of being, being a family doctor. Um, I know I've seen many doctors over the years, but uh, you've always been the one, my go-to because uh, a, a lot of doctors, I feel like they don't listen to you. They don't understand you. They don't want to hear about necessarily or problems. They just want to treat maybe your illness or treat what's going on with you rather right. than listening to each individual patient about, about what is happening with you. Because no matter what it is, uh, you know, especially with autoimmune disease with myself, everybody's symptoms are so different. So that's one thing that I've always respected about you as a doctor and you. Um, having you on was important to me because you've had some experiences lately that I thought were pretty important to share with people. But uh, first I wanted to talk about what exactly is COVID-19? Why is it so scary and dangerous? And, and what is your opinion as a doctor of this? Well, it's a really good topic to bring up, especially on a health and fitness um, podcast, because everybody wants to be out there and exercising and doing things. And of course, we've all heard about the social distancing, et cetera, which really puts a crimp in your style when you want to be exercising. And, and, and especially women, I think we do better when we work out and in a group that just tends to be the MO, I think, more for women often than men. But COVID-19, unfortunately, is um, the reason they keep calling it a novel coronavirus is because it is novel. It's new. It's one we haven't seen. And it moves very, very rapidly. And what we discovered was that this was a virus that was generally only found in animals. And in many cities in China, it's considered a delicacy and also a sign of success if they were able to obtain um, animals in the marketplace that were quite rare and exotic. And in the process of slaughtering those animals in the marketplace, um, uh, cleanliness was not always practiced the way you would think it would be. And the blood from some of those animals who were infected with this coronavirus very quickly was able to mutate. And you figure a virus can 
replicate itself about a million times over within a minute or two. Um, any little error in its, in its DNA during that replication can make a whole new crop of viruses. And that's exactly what happened when it made the jump to humans. There have been all sorts of conspiracy theories that have been floated that it was developed in a Chinese lab down the street from the Wuhan um, marketplace. And that has never been proven. And there's no basis for that. Um, and I, I certainly don't ascribe to that thought process. And we know viruses do this all the time. That's what makes them such um, devil dogs to try to control. And we have very few medicines for any virus for that matter. We have some medicine for things like the herpes virus, which can help slow the, the course. We have some medicine to slow the course of influenza. Um, those are relatively stable viruses that don't mutate as quickly and there are some similarities, but this is a completely different animal. It's in the family um, of what, if you remember some years back, the SARS um, and the bird flu, um, which also unfortunately came out of um, marketplaces within China. Um, and again, that was relatively well contained. It never gained the, the speed for whatever reason. It never uh, was able to spread the way this one was. And it's a sneaky little devil. Um, what's amazing is that you even consider it a, a live thing. It's a piece of protein. That's all it is. Right. There's, there, it's different than like the regular like flu virus because it is a protein. It's not. Um, well, whatever. all viruses are parasites in and of themselves. A virus can only live within another living cell. And what it does is it commandeers the nucleus, which is the command center of every cell. And it says, now you're going to do my bidding like any good dictator would. And it tells the, the nucleus to reproduce the viruses, DNA or RNA, and which, which are proteins in and of themselves too. But this one is a sneaky one. And it seems to, for some reason, be able to get around the normal cells in our immune system and, to, and escape notice. And that's one of the things they've found with this. So that's what makes this so different than like other pandemics that we've had. Because we've had a number, I mean, Spanish flu, the H1N1, um, the, the SARS, you know, all the different ones that we've even experienced with Ebola, even um, that happened not too long ago. That's what makes it so different than what's happening now, especially since it is a novel virus. It is. And those were all viruses. And, and yet, you know, we really didn't see Ebola come here to the U.S. Right. I we, think like, we only had like three cases. Yes, it's just a, a small number. And certainly the Spanish flu was in a time before much uh, was known in the way of, uh, we certainly didn't have electron microscopes like we do now, so we can actually <laughs> see a virus. That made a big difference. There were many different theories, even before 1950, um, that were not well understood in terms of why organisms and why infections did what they did. And, and the spread, heck, we didn't even know about, you know, washing our hands after surgery into the late 1800s right. and figure out why women were dying after childbirth. But this one is a little bit different in that it um, has spread so quickly undetected. We don't have any, any immune recognition of it like we would a flu virus where there's some similarities on the surface of a virus like the flu virus that many in the, and we don't have any herd immunity. Normally, there are many people in the U.S. that get a flu shot. That creates some herd immunity for the rest of the folks that don't get a flu shot. So that, that's missing in all of this also. And then there are no medications, despite what our um, 
fearful leader uh, wants to promote, there really are not at this point true treatments for it, um, including the hydroxychloroquine, which is extraordinarily dangerous to advise anybody to take. On their own, without doctor. Without, without very, very close monitoring. Right. Um, the side effect could be wiping out your entire bone marrow and your immune system. So you won't have to worry about COVID-19. You're going to die of the common flu or the common cold. So can you explain herd immunity? Because I think, uh, what it's, I think it's something that we never really have had to experience going through, not in any of our lifetimes, having to create. Probably not. Those of us probably born before 19 or born after 1970 are less familiar with it. Um, the reason uh, people got so excited about the measles was we had the vast majority of folks were immunized against measles. And when the levels of people who were getting immunized dropped, the number of people that had the ability to not contract measles went down. And that's when we started to see that. And it's the same with this. Nobody has any antibodies in their body to fight this. So they're able to pass it on to numerous other people. Um, but we had, so we haven't seen a pandemic certainly with measles, um, but we've certainly seen outbreaks, things that we never thought we would see in our lifetime. Um, we're seeing a little bit of rise in polio now with the lack of immunization. Um, and so when you have enough people in a group who are immunized, they are not going, if they do get introduced to the virus, they're not going to be able to pass it on because their immune system has already killed it before it's already had the chance to replicate and spread to others. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your personal experience that you have had, you know, as a doctor treating patients, um, getting masks. I have one here that you gave me the other day in your office. <laughs> Quite the fashion statement, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. Well, I think that's the other thing that um, has been talked about, obviously, over the entire United States, the lack of preparedness. Um, for this, I think we we became, we meaning um, in general, probably the governments became complacent, um, not really believing that there was a chance that this type of a situation could happen again. And we um, have not kept the stockpiles up. You don't really lose the um, uh, effectiveness of a mask if it's sitting in a, in a, um, a box package or a box or even a warehouse. Now ventilators or some of the other things, gloves will crack and dry, but certainly not um, mass. And, but we didn't prepare for that. So that was part of it. What happened in my case uh, was I had a patient who was actually another family physician who had many of the symptoms very reminiscent of COVID. And uh, this was early, uh, right about mid-March, about March 13th. And I attempted to swab her and it was sent into the state lab. And the state lab made the decision that there was no note that she had been exposed to anybody with known COVID, that she had gone to any country with known COVID-19 and they promptly threw the specimen out. Uh, it was just because I was suspicious, I just had a bad feeling after listening to the news and hearing more and more reports, I went ahead and called the initial lab, Sonora Quest, to say, what's the status on that swab that I sent in? Uh, and they said, well, we don't know. We sent it to the state lab. So I called the state lab and after multiple roundabouts found out they didn't test it. And I asked, well, were you going to tell us this? Were you going to tell SnorQuest who delivered it to you? No, that's not our policy. So here I was with somebody now two days into this and 
the, those tests that the they were showing sign fever. Yes, the high body fever, aches. the cough, the body aches, just you know the whole bit low oxygen levels, and I was concerned. And I said, well, now this doesn't make sense to me. Why would we? And I was listening to more and more news stories as the reporters were chasing down Rebecca Sun and Shine, and they were chasing down um, Kara Christ, all the the. Um, public health doctors that are responsible in the state and the county, and they couldn't get straight answers. And I said, they can't get straight answers, and we can't either, even at the at the doctor's level. Right. So I had to swab the individual again, and that takes anywhere from three to seven days to get a result back. You know, I don't know what to tell her with all the patients she came in contact with. You know, uh, everybody's kind of on tenterhooks waiting to hear what the outcome would be. And that was beyond frustrating. I still had to do quite a bit of calling and track down the results, and which I didn't get until Tuesday when they popped up on my computer screen that she was negative. But that went, so we tested her Wednesday night. By Tuesday, I finally had an answer um, after doing multi, you know, two tests at least. But now, like you said, with the mass situation, patients are very angry when they call. You know, a, a family doctor's bread and butter is seeing sick people. We've had to tell folks, we're so sorry, we aren't even equipped to see you. Right. We don't have a negative pressure room, a room that would suck out the, the air and recirculate it and, and clean, clean it and recirculate it. We don't have eyewear. We don't have protective gowns. We have just basic minimal masks. We don't have the N95 masks. And we're a small office, and there are many family practice offices like this that said, what are we going to do? Our only option is to tell folks we can't see you if you're sick. And I'm sure you experienced that when you came in the other day, you were asked a litany of questions and told yeah. to remain where you were. And, and Well, yeah. I think what, what's also scary about that too, is that that three to seven day waiting period for someone might be fatal. That's right. I mean, in three to five days, you know, I do know a couple people that have had it you know, the first two days fever after that, you know, they started to get better, but pretty bad cough, but they were, you know, forties, healthy individuals for someone right. in one of those other demographic demographics that could be it that three to five days, even if they're quarantined and right. not, not in contact with other people that for them themselves could be. And that's what's, what is frightening. And the fact that we know that we are shedding the virus and potentially infecting others for five days before we even begin to show symptoms. So when you try to do the math and go back and figure out how many people, who you came in contact with, and obviously somebody who's seen patients of all ages, but really now, granted, I'm 55, so trust me, when I hear the demographic of the people in their 50s are at risk, I'm thinking, hey, that's my demographic. That's, that doesn't sound too dang old to me right now. Neither do the 60s for that matter. But when I hear what the stats are of folks not making it, um, people often that were previously healthy, and it seems like it's almost a Russian roulette if you happen to get a, a big snootful of the virus or not. So... So I know that you have recently, you know, spoken out about this situation and, um, trying to get help and trying to get heard. Um, and you had some difficulties with people either not believing you or even, um, threatening you. <laughs> Can yes. You a little it was bit about interesting. That? I think once I, I encountered the snafu with the state lab, I was so angry 
Um, and Gabby, you know, you've known me a long time, so you know um, my patients are as important to me as my own family. And I give them the, the same level of consideration and care. And I'm a bulldog until I get the answers I need to get. And I realized the stories they were being even told by the media who was trying to get the, the right answers were still not even as accurate as what I was going through. And then I started getting messages. At, so I made a Facebook post saying, here's what's happening, folks. Uh, it's, it's not all that it seems. No, there aren't tests aren't out there. Uh, we don't have the protective gear. We called the state health department. They said, well, you need to use PPE, personal protect. We said, we are aware of that. We do not have that. Well, you need to get it. Really? Oh, gee, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just go to, you know, Walmart and pick up some, you know, PPE. Uh, and so when we explained again, again, we don't have the PPE to, oh, well, I guess you could send patients to the urgent care. The urgent care was ready to wring our neck. We don't have the test. Please don't send them to us. And I didn't want to be overwhelming ERs, et cetera. So as this went on, and I made my initial post when I was so frustrated um, with the runaround, I began to get private message by folks that worked at the local hospital, specifically the Banner Hospitals and Dignity, but primarily Banner. And I could not believe what I was hearing. They didn't want their staff wearing masks if they weren't specifically in an isolation ward or working with known COVID patients. This included folks in the ER, everywhere else. And as we know, if, if this thing is sitting around and you don't show symptoms for five days, everybody is a suspect. Um, at one point, and I had multiple reports of this, and this is what really got people's um, dander up. I had nurses and doctors from the Banner hospitals messaging me saying, the administrators came in today and physically ripped the masks off our face and said, you will not wear, and these were just like the masks you have, the surgical masks. These mm -hmm. weren't even the N95s. If, if anybody's watching, just like this. Yes. It's just, it's just a little paper yes. mask that you right. tie around your face. Layer and you know, you do the best you can. But these doctors and nurses were literally having the mask ripped off their faces by the administrators and told, if you don't comply, you'll be fired on the spot. One nurse was put on, on leave for two weeks and told, when you come back, if you don't do what you're told, you'll be fired immediately. And I had such outpouring of either A, support, but several angry people saying, you're lying, that's not true. I talked to somebody who said that didn't happen. And if it didn't in some areas, I'm thrilled. But after getting that many reports of doctors telling, even the doctors saying, thanks for saying something, nobody else can say anything here because the retaliatory tactics of the hospital are huge. I said, this doesn't make any sense. They were told, you don't need to wear them. You're scaring the patients. And I said, you know, COVID-19 is going to scare them a hell of a lot more sure. than, than uh, somebody wearing a mask. And that persisted for a few weeks. And you... You know, those people are on the front line. They're putting their lives at risk every single day to be there. If they get sick, who's going to take care? Who's going to help? That's right. If the caretakers and the healers get sick, who's left? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's frustrating because this is so new. It's so confusing. We don't know how to react to it. We don't know what to do. But the one thing that we should be doing is protecting the people that are trying to help 
and the right. people that are working and the people that are doing the best that they can. And, you know, there are doctors that have gotten sick and died. There are nurses that have gotten sick and died from this. Yes, there are. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so I ended up, and this is the good news part of this story. I was then contacted by a dentist um, in the Ahwatukee area who said, you know, I closed my office down two weeks prior and I have lots of masks and gloves. I'd be more than happy to donate them to you and anybody else who might need them. And I said, oh my goodness, what, you know, what can I give you for these? And he said, no, I don't want money. He said, this is what we do in a community. We take care of each other. And then another individual, and that was um, amazing to me to begin with. And he brought me right to his office and, and loaded up the trunk of my car. Somebody else got a hold of me and said, we have some N95 masks that we would love to donate along with some gloves. And I again said, what can I pay you for them? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Those are the folks that um, uh, own the Green Chili Love um, uh, food truck who are hurting themselves. They're not able to, to make any money. And then another lady that I've never met before contacted me and said, I read your story. I've read it online. I've read it in the news. I've been making masks. I wanted to bring some into you. And so I've become a, a pseudo distributor of, of free PPE and um, the next thing I knew, I had a call from the um, chief medical officer for Department of Children's Services saying, do you have any despair because our 70 plus employees and volunteers are going out into the community still trying to help children and they have zero PPE provided to them. And that, that motivated me then to go back online and say, okay, anybody who likes to sew, I'll give you sheets, I'll give you material, I'll find whatever you need to get. And many people contacted me, said, you know, I'm an upholsterer, I'm happy to do this. I have bolts and bolts of material at home. I will make gowns, I'm happy to do it. And we've seen all over the country, all over the state, for sure, here and all over the country, people are working together. And I've said, you know, this is so reminiscent of World War II and the war effort when women gave up their, when they were truly silk nylons and pots and pans and metal for the war effort. And this is our war with a microscopic, um, sub-microscopic um, uh, demon fighting us. Well, but what's even scarier about this than a war is that you can't see it. Right, it is. This is the invisible enemy that we all have to be thinking about protecting ourselves and taking care of each other. So, as far as um, like say like our self isolation efforts, tell me how you feel a little bit about that. I know for me personally, it's it's really there are a lot of people that have been hurt and hit really really hard financially, um, economically because of this. I've been shut down. Uh, a lot of other businesses been shut down. I know a lot of right. other restaurants are even are not going to make it. No, uh, but. As far as isolating, if we did isolate today, say everybody just stayed in their home for 14 days, would we see the efforts of that? We would, and we are already seeing that we have several examples from around the world. And actually, you know, the state that we thought we would have seen many, many more cases is California. And believe it or not, as diverse as California is, they took their governor's um, admonitions to heart. And they don't Except have- Except when any. they all went out to the beach. <laughs> yes, that was different. But in terms of the big cities, whether it be San Francisco, which is a very um, 
compacted um, and large population area, they have not seen anywhere near the cases, the deaths, et cetera. They don't even need as many hospital beds um, as other, I'm not saying that they don't need any, but the stats are still amazingly good considering that is the set, what we have Florida and we have California as two of the largest states in the nation. And California has done much better than anybody ever predicted. When we look at other countries, I look at South Korea. South Korea is, is amazing. I think they had something less than 90 deaths. Well, that they had a pandemic not, not too long ago. So they were really prepared they were for this situation. And, and they were they testing the, everybody. Yes, they tested everybody. So they knew who needed to be isolated and who didn't. And I was just listening to um, another, uh, another podcast, um, New Zealand. New Zealand has taken it very seriously. They've had one, one death in the entire country. It was an elderly woman who was at high risk. Um, I don't know that, I think they have less than a hundred cases and the, I, it's not funny, but it is. The citizens are telling on each other. They're calling the police <laughs> station. That's what the police station is dealing with when citizens report other citizens for being out and about. But I've also heard some very creative ideas some entrepreneurial folks have done with small business. I heard one gal who normally goes around and, and has her product that she sells to hairdressers. Well, she figured out, hey, why don't I have each hairdresser show a style, show something they can do with one of the products, and they, can, and they have a special code from that hairdresser so that they get a cut of the product that the, and so the hairdresser does hair, shows how it would work, with that product and she has turned her business which was normally visiting each of the hairdressers into a completely online and a video broadcast and i thought that's brilliant and that's the kind of innovation i think we can see here in the u.s hopefully i, I think we're definitely seeing a huge shift i know my business has gone online as well um it it still it still does impact a lot don't get oh, me it wrong does. it's still challenging but uh, we've seen a lot of people going out thinking outside the box i know um i saw a um an esthetician who is selling her facial packs so yes. what she would normally do use in a facial she's selling the packages with the instructions on how to do it yourself obviously it's not the same as going into the studio sure. or into an office but but it's something similar and you know we're offering our online i offer online training one-on-ones video chat we offer online classes so i we're definitely seeing that but um i wanted to touch back though to something that you said about you know south korea testing everybody and it's something that I've thought about a lot is that the statistics are very skewed, especially with, you know, like your, your fellow doctor friend who was test tested, you sent in a test kit, but did not get tested initially. So how many of those tests are throwing, they're throwing out of people that they didn't think were it had it, so why bother? And how many people are not tested that are not seeing symptoms or that are getting sick and, and isolating and getting better and never getting tested either? So the statistics, I think, are very skewed, and I think that that's something that is is fearful for people. I, I agree with you, and um, I statistics are often, uh, it's very easy to manipulate statistics, let's face it, you know. Um, I always use my joke um, when people say, 
you know, they're, they're worried about this or this could cause this. And I said, well, that's, that's about as logical as saying, well, there was a person who was hit by a car. That person was wearing purple socks. Therefore, wearing purple socks is a risk factor for getting hit by a car. And that type of circular reasoning can be utilized with statistics. And you're 100% right about that. In addition, we're getting a whole bunch of, I don't, I don't want to call them fly-by-nights, but a lot of people are rushing to get tests out that are very quick with quick answers. And we're finding some of these rapid tests have a 30% false negative rate. That's huge. In any other test we have, we would never accept that type of a statistic. Um, and so that's part of it. They're getting better. Most of the tests that are being done in the hospital are more accurate. And that, of course, is what forces all of us in the, in the private practice world. And I've, I've actually been approached by people saying, would you like to do this test? What's well, about a $200 test? You know, people are hurting enough as it is. And then, um, you know, they're saying, this would be a great idea, don't you think, for people who just want to know if they've ever been exposed. Nobody has money for that. Yeah. You know? I mean, we could get into the healthcare system and all of that, and that could oh, be an sure. entire other, other, other story. I mean, it's, you're exactly right, though. And I, I think that it's, you know, a 30% rate, that's huge. Right. That's and that huge. can't be acceptable. We can't have that. I mean, um, but I'm hoping that the innovations and, and the fact that Americans by nature are innovative and creative individuals. Um, there are enough people out there that are working in the field that we should be able to be getting uh, at least more of a, um, uh, a rough idea of where we're seeing this. I know some people had asked me, well, it's Arizona. We're not going to have to worry about it because we have the heat. And I said, no, that's not where the problem is going to be because it's your internal core temperature that controls it, um, which begs the question of, should we let people have a fever? Because that actually does seem to eradicate the virus more effectively. Um, now, I'm not saying go to 104 or 105, but there have been some very good studies now that have shown that the type of immune cell that's needed that is not being activated against this virus will get activated with extremes of temperature, heat, and then exposure to cold. And that's exactly what they do in Finland. And you know what? they have one of the lowest rates in of any country in the world. They all have saunas. Every single person in Finland has a sauna. Because and it's cold do, there. <laughs> yes, and they do this. They raise their temperatures. They go into the extreme, and then they go outside into the cold. Hmm. And, you know, our, our old logic was always, oh, if you go in the cold, you'll get sick. It's actually the exact opposite. You will stimulate the immune cells that need to fight viruses to wake up and start to mass an, uh, an offense, which is a very interesting principle. That is very interesting. Um, well, so with all this social distancing, are we just delaying the inevitable? I mean, if we stay, you know, our whole idea was flattening the curve so we wouldn't overload the health system or the healthcare system and, and hospitals, but are we just delaying this process are is this going to continue to go on i mean this virus is not going to go away so if we're doing all this social this isolation the social distancing and then we start to come back into the world is this just going to come back i mean what i think it's like 12 to 24 months that they say that this is going to be an issue well hopefully we're going to have some herd immunity for un the unfortunate folks that did 
get exposed to it. That's one of the hopes. And that's why this is such a tough one to fight because it is new and it hasn't ever been seen by um, most people's immune system. So that may be one benefit. Um, we know that we're still about a good year or so away from an immunization. And we know that this started and was present right around the time of the Chinese New Year. Um, and people visit from all over the world, which is of course what really, um, and, and especially we all travel worldwide these days. We're a I mean, global society. We are a very global society. And there was a, there was a huge um, uh, number of uh, people that gathered for Chinese New Year in various parts of China. And so when this, it was, it was just the most opportune time of, of ever. And it, these type of viruses do tend to be more popular and, and um, come around in the wintertime, especially now that it's, this is now a new virus because it's mutated. Um, but I still think the social distancing will work because even if you've been exposed to it, we know there are some people who get exposed and never even show any symptoms there's a good chance that they've already made the antibodies. Um, I think it's something, I, I saw something that said it was about 50% of people never show a symptom. I don't know where that statistic that's, came No, from. that's that's about right. No, that's probably about right. Um, and if they do, it's minimal to, to something they wouldn't even think of um, and not even be able to remember where the heck they came in contact with it. But if we're able to at least minimize the, the widespread gatherings of, of individuals where you're going to have some unlucky individual who is immunosuppressed, who is going to be the one who gets it, maybe not just one or two exposures, maybe 50 in a gathering. It's a big difference between one exposure versus 50 or 100 or 150. So what would be your recommendation other than self-isolation for staying safe for people that are still going into the work, into the office or into wherever their essential business is? What would be obviously washing your hands? I've said it eight right. bajillion times, but right. other than that, what would be some good practices for people? Well, it, it's not that the masks are necessarily magical. Um, they, as many people have said, they do tend to help you not put your hand up to your face. And we all do that. We rub our eyes, we rub our nose. I've been doing it this whole yeah. time. But I, I wash my hands. So, right, but it's so hard not to if you've come in and you don't realize um, what surfaces or what contaminated things you've come in contact with. So if you don't have a choice and you do have to be at the workplace, that's something we do. One of the things we do is we bring in a change of clothes. And before we walk out of the office, we change clothes, put them in a sealed bag, bring them home and we come home to our families in brand, you know, clean clothes that were in a sealed bag to start with. And we put those clothes immediately in the washing machine. I've also told um, some folks that have elderly parents that are maybe going for chemo or radiation that need to continue. I tell them very similar to what we would recommend for a newborn. If you're going to have people come and see the newborn, have them put on a large oversized t-shirt over their current clothes. They can hold the baby, they can see the baby, you know, in normal circumstances. And then when they're done, put the baby back or give the baby back and then they can take it. The, but they shouldn't come in with their underlying clothing uncovered and potentially exposing that child. And it's the same type of principle. And so I've recommended that um, if people do have to go, go in with a big t-shirt, you know, a big clean t-shirt. The minute you walk out of that office, whip that sucker off and put it in a bag and put it in the washing machine when you get home. Well, I think that there's some places that all, I mean, obviously you're closed, but other places that people don't necessarily think about, like when you're pumping gas, 
or when you run your credit card and you're putting your pin number in or door handles. Obviously people think about door handles, but maybe not necessarily when you push the door and not use the door handle. There's so many different things that people don't, keyboards, your mouse, um, your car door handle or even your dry, your, your, uh, wheel. So I am a crazy person. So I carry around my Lysol wipes. That's good. That's a great, you're lucky you have some. I, funny thing. I always shop at Costco. So I have, because I use Lysol wipes to wipe down my equipment at the gym. And, um, I had, that's why I never see you in the office. You're so darn healthy. That's good. (laughs) I, try to do everything in my, because of, because of my autoimmune disease, I try to do everything in my power to stay clean and healthy. And I obviously want to do that for my clients as well. But I, you know, I'll, I will take out a disinfectant wipe before I go in public. I use it to open door handles. I use it to type everything. And then I throw it away, get in my car. I take out another wipe. I wipe down, you know, I'll wipe off my hands, wipe down my steering wheel, wipe off my, you know, dash or whatever the my knobs for my stereo and stuff like that because anything you touch you come in contact with you're going to transfer it so i know they have like the videos of people wearing the plastic or wearing the latex gloves and you're walking around with your latex gloves and then and touching things and then you touch your face with the latex gloves right well if anybody's ever worked in the food industry you don't cross contaminate and touch everything. You use the gloves to, you know, cut onions and then you take those off, throw them away. You put on new gloves to cut meat, take those off, throw them away, wash your hands in between, you know, but we're seeing people that are putting gloves on and then just wandering around with them all day. But it's a free pass. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as using your hands. So there's, you know, there's little things that you can do. If you don't have disinfectant wipes, you can make your own, um, like hand sanitizer with rubbing alcohol. Right. So there's a lot of different things you can do to stay healthy. Obviously, you know, that's right. Yeah. That's funny. That reminds me so much of when I was in medical school and residency, when I would go in to, um, uh, assist in a surgery, the, the scrub nurse who was in charge of the room and she was the boss, not the surgeon, the scrub nurse. And she watched to make sure if anybody was contaminating yourself. And let me tell you, you've never had as itchy a nose. <laughs> as you and they tell you that you put on these sterile gloves that are put on a very certain way that nothing is to, and she holds them out for you and you put your fingers in and they, and then you are put into a sterile gown and they tell you, don't touch anything and they tell you to to hold your hands in front of you and the phrase is nipples to navel the hand should never go below your belly button and they should never go above the line of the nipple they should you should be working at that level and that's how strict it is and if they see you even do this they say ah decontaminated scrub out and you mm-hmm. start the scrubbing process all over again so it is i hate masks that's it's probably one of the reasons I didn't ever want to go into surgery, <laughs> but I know that there is a purpose for them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you your bet. opinion. Like I said, you know, you've been my doctor for a long time. So I always, I respect your opinion. And I, I know that if you, if you have been through this situation, that it definitely, it ring it rings true and people need to stop, <laughs> stop thinking this is all just 
crazy. Fear mongering. That's what I was told. You're just fear mongering. One person said, I'm going to turn you into the board for, for spreading lies. And I thought, I'm not sure what lies you're talking about lady, but yeah, that's what I was, I've been accused of fear mongering for telling the truth. Yeah. So, but uh, you are accepting new patients too, but if anybody is sick, where do you, you know, if they suspect that they're sick, where do you now the urgent cares have gotten up to speed. Many of them have. Um, and so we are, um, I know Dignity has done a very good job with many of their urgent cares. Honor Health has also, which used to be Scottsdale Health Care. Um, and Banner has also, and Banner has a large number of, um, of urgent cares around town, but many of them, but I always tell people to call before you go. Call and see that they have the ability to help them to, if they decide to test, if they feel they need an X-ray or that, that kind of thing. It's turning out ultrasounds are actually going to be the better test now than x-rays for the lungs, which is very interesting. Wow. Very non-invasive. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'll I'll put um, your contact information if anybody's looking for a general practitioner or family care physician, Um, but, uh, or if anybody has any questions or needs any advice, I mean, I would I'm sure people don't know what to do right now. I, I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> right. It's, it seems like it changes from moment to moment, doesn't it? Yep. It definitely yeah, does. Definitely. But so if anybody has any questions, you can always contact me. I'll have um, Dr. Wolf's information on there too. And um, please stay safe, stay healthy and wash your hands. Definitely. That's all I can say. <laughs> Thank you so much everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks Gabby. Due to COVID-19, Gabrielle and many others have had to close their businesses. Remember to support local and help businesses in need during this time by buying gift cards, ordering takeout from your favorite restaurants, or joining online fitness classes like those at Pilates Tempe. You can find out more information for online classes and training at PilatesTempe.com. We thank you for your support and hope you stay healthy and safe. Thank you. This has been the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People with Gabrielle Mazar.